we, we tend to find swimmers do pick up a lot of lower limb injuries. So I'm talking sort of below the knee. So foot, ankle, shins, calves, you know, things like that. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Ryan Twist from Bayswater Ankle and Foot Clinic. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been been too long since we've caught up. Yeah, so we've um, we've done a bit of work yeah. together in terms of swimming coaching, and your background uh, in sport is is triathlon and in um, particular Ironman, as you can see with a lot of stuff behind you as well uh, with uh, <laughs> yep. with all of those races. And um, we, uh, you're a podiatrist, and I I thought it'd be great to get you on the, the podcast today because um, with all the lockdowns and all of that, and I'm a prime example of it. Is you've seen a lot of foot. Uh, or foot, ankle, uh, leg injuries as a result of it. So for anyone who's listening who wants to get into running or they've been running and they have found themselves injured, like I have, uh, this podcast is for you. So uh, what have you seen the last couple of months since pools are closed and all that sort of thing? Well, it's, it's been a really interesting trend and something that has definitely started to uh, come through is uh, people starting to pick up more walking and running uh, because if we think about it, all, all the pools are shut. Well, for, for most people around the place, pools, pools are shut. Uh, there's no organised sport. There's, there's no gyms and there's no other real way of, of exercising. We, a lot of places have a, a, radius, a radius limit, like in Melbourne, we can't go more than 5Ks from our home. So that rules out, you know, cycling and, and, and a lot of other things as well. So people are taking up walking and running and generally people who are fit and active and got a pretty good level of fitness and, uh, and competitiveness are going in at all guns blazing um, and and getting injured as a result of that. Guilty yeah. as charged. The the first lockdown, <laughs> first lockdown uh, in the first week, I went for a run and I was going to do uh, it's going to be fifteen seconds sprint, fifteen seconds walk, and I was going to do it for ten minutes. Uh, sure. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm feeling pretty good. I might just do that for thirty minutes. And um, <clears throat> what do you know? In uh, two days, I, I couldn't run anymore, and that took me out for six <laughs> weeks. And, yeah, uh, and then, yeah. and then the second one, I, uh, I was just, cause I couldn't swim, uh, and I couldn't travel down to the bay. I, um, did 97 and a half Ks in a week. So nearly a hundred K week, which is more than what I did when I was training for Ironman just cause I was wow. bored and I needed something to do. And, uh, yep. then I was out for two weeks because my ankle flared up again and I wasn't surprised. I knew it was going to happen, but it was, uh, one of those things where I had to just exercise. So, um, what, uh, yeah. what sort of injuries are you seeing and, um, yeah, what's what's most common at the moment for people? Well, right now, the most the, the two most common things are either soft tissue tendon injury, so Achilles tendinopathy, um, a couple of other tendons in the foot which commonly get injured, or like the classic plantar fascia, which is sort of bottom of the heel pain. And then the the other uh, sort of injury we're seeing at the moment is a lot of bone stress injuries, where where bones are getting stressed um, too much too soon, and they develop some swelling and inflammation within the actual bones. And, and that, that can be a real problem. And we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Um, swimmers are especially guilty of this. Um, that, and it, in non-pandemic world, we, we certainly see this a lot as well in, in, in swimmers as a, as a subset. So it's and interesting now. Yeah. So, so generally, you know, swimmers, um, swimmers, if they're looking to transition to triathlon or they want to pick up some running, train for an Ironman or a marathon or, or they want to change or introduce more cross-training to their training or whatever, 
we, we tend to find swimmers do pick up a lot of lower limb injuries. So I'm talking sort of below the knee. So foot, ankle, shins, calves, you know, things like that. And the, the reason why I think it is, is because, uh, first of all, as we touched on, swimmers are very competitive. They're generally sort of quite high achieving in, a, in an endurance sport. Um, they're, they're fit, they're, they're strong, and they've got good aerobic base because we know how good swimming is at building that aerobic base. So they could, you know, aerobically and psychologically, they, they, they can sort of run. They can run for many Ks. But the years of that non-weight-bearing um, conditioning you get from, from running, uh, so, you know, the lack of that through swimming is certainly uh, a problem that we see a lot in, in swimmers because, because of all those reasons why, you know, they're fit and strong and healthy and they go out and run. They're not conditioned to run. So they develop overuse injuries very, very quickly. And uh, it's very common to see. Yeah. And what do you, um, let's say someone hasn't started running yet or they're, they're just, they're looking to start. What do you yep. recommend to those people? Obviously don't do 60 Ks in your first week. Uh, what, exactly. sort of, what sort of things help, um, yeah, help yeah. avoid those sort of injuries? Okay, so the, the, the best thing that uh, especially uh, swimmers or anyone can do is, is get a, a strength and rehab sort of uh, program started where, where they're focusing in on specific areas of the, of the lower limb and, and foot to improve the strength uh, of, of the muscles, of the joints, of the collagen, of the, of the ligaments, you know, soft tissue, everything. Um, at the same time, start running very, very, uh, you know, lightly we, we want to start at a very small base and progressively build and so generally what we recommend uh for, for swimmers to start running would be uh, a few weeks of a, of a walk run uh you know like training program where they, they go out for like a run where it's say 30 minutes but you're, you're walking for three minutes jogging for two minutes walk for three minutes jog for two minutes so it's a walk run cycle and if you do that consistently a few times a week for a few weeks at the same time, you're doing a lot of strength and conditioning to build up that, that strength in, in your lower legs. That's the best way rather than going in and um, diving in headfirst, pun, pun, to, to, <laughs> to running. Uh, that, that's that's going to help protect against, against, you know, these bone stress injuries and this plantar heel pain and, and tendinopathies that we see a lot of, yeah. What are some of the most common uh, strengthening exercises that you'll give that sort of cover most of your bases? Look, I am a huge fan of uh, developing calf strength. We know through lots of studies and anecdotal evidence that when runners uh, have strong calf muscles, the chance of an overuse injury significantly decreases. And so the calf muscle is made up of, of four muscles. And uh, if we focus on strengthening the soleus, which is the, the biggest one in that calf muscle complex, that can go a long way to helping to protect against a lot of overuse injuries. So, so strengthening the calves is, is, is super important. And then I'm also a big fan of, uh, of strengthening a couple of muscles located within the arch of our feet. They, they help to control a lot of motion as your foot strikes the ground and responsible for a lot of propulsion. So, so a muscle like tibialis posterior and a cup and a, another complex muscle located within the actual foot, um, that they're really good things to try and focus on. Yeah. Right. Uh, a friend of mine, he, um, he had an issue with his calf for uh, I was like three years or something. And, uh, and yep. they just couldn't run for a very long time. And he went in to see like one of the, 
like top three experts in Australia. Um, and you basically have to have been injured for at least three years or something to be able to go and see this, this lady. And uh, I remember him telling me that he went in and it was her and like her trainee apprentice um, person as well. And they turned him around and they had a look at his calves and they basically paid his calves out for a few minutes at least <laughs> picking him apart. And then, just, and, and then she gave him this really heavy, um, you sort of calf, um, calf strengthening, program right. and uh and he's he's good to go like he's ready to run now but um yeah essentially yeah it came down to um calf strength and um obviously just easing back into it um oh, yeah and apart from being bruised the bruised ego i'm sure he's uh super grateful now that, oh uh, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um it's and the, the 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 reason why is is because the calf muscles uh they absorb so much load as we strike the ground and they are responsible for a lot of propulsion forwards um early in my Career, I was uh, very fortunate enough to work alongside a podiatrist that was involved at the Australian Institute of Sport. And at the AIS, they've got a lot of uh, benchmarks that athletes have to meet, you know, certain strength and certain muscle groups and certain range of motion and certain joints. And for, for the calves, it was um, all weight-bearing athletes had to clear 25 uh, single-leg calf raises on each side with the right technique. That's the gold standard. Um, it might've changed. This was 10 years ago now, but it might've changed since then, but that, that's sort of a good benchmark to aim for. Um, if you can achieve 25 single leg calf raises on each side, again, with the right technique, it, 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 it makes a massive difference. What do you see? Um, Cause listening to that, listening to that, you think, Oh, it doesn't sound that hard, but I guess I think I've sort of done a, a little bit of it before in 12, 13, 14 reps in, start to feel it and I, i'm guessing yeah. the form probably breaks down then big time yeah and then you start compensating a lot of people will start to say um bend their knee which which engages the hamstrings and the glutes which can assist in it and then um that and the pelvis anteriorly rotates and so you're sort of rotating outwards through your hips and so you're engaging all these different muscles and joints rather than actually using the calf muscles to engage the movement so mm. Very few, even even high level um, and even elite level athletes uh, struggle to do 25 single leg calf raises each side. So it's, it's a good thing to, to aim towards. Um, and if you're commencing running, it's, it's even more important. Yeah. What about shoes? What kind of impact do they have having the right kind of shoes? Yeah, everything. As, as, a, as a podiatrist, I've been practicing nearly 13 years. I would say the number one risk factor for injury. There, there are lots. The number one risk factor of injury is footwear, and the the wrong shoes can uh, cause cause injuries so quickly. And so it's really important to get the right kind of shoe. And it's probably the number one question we get asked is what shoe do you recommend? And my, my answer is there isn't one. It it depends on your foot type. It depends on your um, level of ability. It depends on your injury history. It depends on you know what surface you're running on most of the time. There's so many factors at play. The best advice I can give, there's two, two bits of advice. One is that you have multiple pairs of shoes. Studies have shown that if you have more than one pair of shoe, it will decrease your chance of an overuse injury. And then the second thing is that you invest in some time and some money and going to a proper footwear shop where they do a full fitting service where they'll take a look at everything, take it all into consideration and then find the right type of shoe for you. So those, yeah, they're the two bits, best bits of advice I can give regarding footwear. Couple of questions there. The first one is so a couple of different pairs of shoes, like of the same kind, or for if you're running on say the road or trails, like what do you mean by a few different pairs? I oh, yeah. so, sorry, yeah. So that uh, 
a mix of, of, of that. So it's good to have, say, a pair of trail shoes. Uh, then, uh, say, the Sunday long run built up more sort of cushion shoe and then maybe a faster, flatter pair for your track sessions or speed sessions um, and then maybe another shoe for, your, you know, your 20-minute easy run. Um, having all those kinds of different types of shoes for the different type of running you're doing is, is the best way to go about that, yeah. Yeah, interesting because I the reason I asked about the shoes is I've got so I had a pair of uh, New Balance shoes, no idea what um yeah what what they were, but um I bought three of the same kind. There was one pair that I wore through; they were great. And then the second lot of that same style, the left shoe just for whatever reason the it didn't sit the same, and so I developed a bit of an injury from using those. And so I went on to the third pair. And then the right one um, had, I sort of had a similar issue with the fit. Like they, they weren't exactly wow. the same uh, yeah, just because okay. of the, like the, I think not the sole of the shoe, but the little insert in it felt just a little bit right. off and that just impacted how I, how I was landing. So, um, and it was all down to the, the shoes. So I've got rid of those and got some new pair, uh, some new trail shoes and they are great right. for um, on the, on the trails, but on the road, they just, yeah, they're, they're not that great. So I need to get another pair of, shoes for the road basically yeah um, and if you, that, you yeah. stick to the same basic principle of how that trail shoe feels for your try if you sort of you know because trail shoes and running shoes have got pretty similar technology if you stick to that basic principle what works in the trail to to the road it, it'll help a lot yeah 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 gotcha um and then in terms of uh seeing someone so they've got i know they've got the athlete's foot uh but you know that they, they have their sort of basic fit and that kind of thing um, and then do you see podiatrists about that stuff as well? Do you guys do that or it's more you go yep. into like a shop like that? Because I've heard yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. On, um, on those just, you know, the um, <laughs> foot shop and you probably, uh, yeah, <laughs> that smile sort of says it all. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that's something yeah. that you guys do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, the, those like the athlete's foot is do is you know it does largely a good job, but you know the commercial reality is they've got budgets to fit, and a lot of the time they're kids serving them, and so yeah. there can be holes in that system. Uh, so yeah, as podiatrists, we can certainly guide people down the right sort of path. But until someone actually tries that shoe on their foot, they're not going to know exactly. So mm. yeah, in these days, there are, there are um, good sort of specialty running shoe shops that are opening up. Um, people recognize gaps in the market. So, so the running company um, is, is a super good uh, footwear shop um, if you're in Australia. Um, but th there are certainly lots of others popping up around the place and um, they're, they're really good. It's worth the time and money to go to places like that if, you, if you're you know, pretty serious about your running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think even just in my last six months, I look at it and you know, let's say a pair of shoes costs you $200. Uh, well, I think yep. if, you know, if it's going to sit me out for six weeks for not because I can't run because I've injured myself, it's like I would much yep. rather spend $500 on a pair of shoes and still be able to train for, for six oh, weeks. 100%. And I'd, I'm sure you'd rather spend it on the shoes than coming to see a podiatrist. So. Well, true. Yeah, you're going to spend it one way or the other. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and if someone is uh, they're feeling a few niggles here and there, like how – how do you know when's the right time to um, when to stop? Should you just stop completely? Obviously, going to see someone about the injury is a, a great idea, um, but yeah. do you need to stop for yeah a number of weeks, or can you continue to to train a bit lighter? You know, what's the the sort of standard that you see there? 
It, look, it, it's a really, really good question. And it um, depends on the type of injury that you've got. So if we look at a bone stress injury, where so bone stress injury is when there's swelling and inflammation within a bone, and that can be a little, little bit all the way to a stress fracture. So anything along that sort of paradigm, if it's a bone stress injury, then it ideally no, no weight bearing, no running at all. Because if you continue to stress the bone, it's going to get worse and worse and eventually crack. So that's where swimmers are, are all right to deal with in that sort of injury because they'll go and swim. If you tell a pure runner to swim, the, they can't swim and they hate it. So, so that's all right for swimmers. But for a soft tissue injury, say we're talking like a, a tendon or a muscle or, or a ligament, um, they, they like to have a certain amount of load put through them in order for them to recover and repair. Complete rest for a tendon, for example, is, 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 is quite bad. Mm. But knowing where and how much load to put through that damaged uh, structure is, is really hard to determine. And, and that's where I guess that, you know, a physio or a podiatrist or an osteo or whoever can, can help guide people on that. Because if you do too much on an injured tendon, then it, it will flare up and it will get worse. If you do too little, to an injured tendon, it, it may not repair and regenerate. It might drag on. So, so finding where that load level is and then staying around that load is, 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 is super important. In terms of when to pull back or get advice on, and you, you have a bit of a niggle, it's a really difficult thing to try and uh, to explain to, to people. But as a general rule, what I like to say is that if your pain level and this is very subjective. I'll start by saying this is subjective. So it has a lot of flaws. But if your pain level is about a 7 out of 10 or less, generally it's okay. When it gets to about an 8 out of 10 or more, then generally you need to see someone. So, you know, if we think about if we go out and train and we're going for a run, yeah, we've got a little bit of a niggle. That little bit of a niggle, you know, for you and me might, might be a bit different. It's hard to know exactly. But if you think of that number, 7 out of 10 or less, then it, it's generally going to be okay. But a bit more than that, you, you, you need to see someone. Yeah. 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 But again, I, I understand, I appreciate how subjective that is. And everyone's 7 is going to be different. So it's really, really difficult. Yeah. But the best advice is if you're, if you're unsure, it's best to be seen earlier than later. And what about uh, in terms of volume of running or how many times a week? I mean, I've seen, I'm just thinking of one friend in particular who was, hates running. Uh, and Don't we all? I'd, yeah, <laughs> I'd say in the last like, probably 10 years since I've known him, he uh, would just always refuse, to, like he would never run. He'd always sort of talk about how much he hated running because he's a swimmer. And now he's been running three times a week between three and, and five Ks really. So pretty light. He's not injured or anything. Uh, what sort of um, what sort of volume would you look for people to sort of limit it to if they're coming purely from a swimming background and they've started running in the last six months? Um, and I know everyone's different, obviously, but uh, yeah, what yeah. sort of things are you seeing causing those injuries? Like, what sort of volume are those people doing? Yeah, it, it, the, the injury. If someone gets injured, generally they've done too much too soon. So we're, they've made too much of a jump and too much of a short period of time. In terms of the type of volume, it depends on the base that that athlete or that person's got. 
and uh, mo- some people uh, can can deal with you know a huge jump in their training, and generally they'll be okay. But as as a general rule, like you know, many years ago we heard this ten percent rule where you should increase your volume by ten percent each week. For someone who's who's pretty fit and pretty strong and and towards sort of a, a pretty good level of of ability, you can generally increase by about twenty percent. Again, that will that will decrease if your volume's massive. So say you're running 120K a week, it's not a good idea to increase that by 20%. But for those pretty good level athletes, you can if you stay somewhere between 10 and 20% increase each week or each month, that's a pretty safe sort of window. If you're coming back from an injury or you're starting from the bottom, um, if you're a swimmer who wants to just get into running, then it's best to keep it under 10% increase per week or month yep. so, yeah yeah that's i hope good. that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no I was, I was that was kind of going to be the next question how uh how much each week should you generally increase by and one of the things that i found quite helpful as i've been running the last uh last few months is uh i've been doing lots of sort of slow easy k's um great just because i've sort of been out in the the forest and near the mountain that sort of near my house and just exploring around there. And so it's re- some really steep gradings. So I've just been walking the uphills and just kind of cruising for the most part. And I haven't done many efforts and I've found that that's been, that's made a big difference with um, just being able to do a bit more distance than I would normally do is like, I'm running some pretty slow K's uh, there compared to what I'd normally do. Like a, a slow K would be like, yeah, if I'm running just easy, it might be say five minute K's or five fifteen. Um, but some of these Perfect. have been have been much slower, and um, I've been able to hold you know, keep pretty good distance throughout um, throughout since then. And um, what do you do? You ever sort of talk about pace and speed and and that kind of thing? Because the first time that that we went to lockdown, it was because I was doing too I did too much sprinting off the bat, and that's that caused sure. me to get injured. So now I've just gone too far in the other direction. I think just all easy case. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of this uh, from, you know, an aerobic benefit scheme, but also, you know, if we look at injury prevention scheme as well. So what we do know is that um, if you're running easy and running slow, like what you just mentioned there, generally your heart rate's going to be a bit lower and you'll be in that sort of zone one, zone two area. And we know that when you're training in that zone, your body's producing certain hormones and certain enzymes and chemicals which aid in aerobic fitness, but also uh, decrease the overall toll on the body so you recover a little bit quicker. Once we get into those zone four and five heart rates, we're producing different hormones, different enzymes, different chemicals. It's a bigger toll on the body. It takes longer to recover and it, it, it's, it's, you know, much, it's much more demanding on the system as a whole. And so if we're constantly in that zone four and five heart rate, we're, our body's gonna fatigue much more, more easily and it's going to more likely develop an injury as a result of that. Whereas most of our training is done in that zone one, zone two area with that top up in that zone four and five area, then that's, that's the best way to first of all, get fitter, but second of all, prevent injuries for, from occurring because those hormones and enzymes and chemicals that are being produced in those lower zones that well, I'm talking, you know, the physiological reactions, but also a cellular reaction in the muscles and the tendons and the bones. They're getting much fitter and stronger, much quicker in those zones and recovering much quicker as well. Mm. Yeah. So, so I'm a huge advocate of running slow to run fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really makes a big difference. And I speak a lot with, with, with my 
athletes, my patients who come in who, you know, I'll often look at their training program and I'll, I'll never write a training program for them because generally they'll have a coach, but I'll, you know, have a word to their coach and make slight adjustments and tweaks and recommendations based around that sort of theory because it's so important. It makes a massive difference. Yeah, and as you were saying before, I mean, well, swimmers are a competitive bunch, triathletes are a competitive bunch. Yeah. And I know personally, like most of the time, I just want to get in there and go for it. And it's hard to hold yourself back. Um, definitely, definitely. As, as a male, a young male as well, that can also be a, a thing. I'm guilty of that myself. Yeah. But, but swimmers, especially if, especially if they're a good swimmer, they're used to being in that fast lane in that, and they're, they're leading out that hundreds and they're, they're smashing out those sets and they, they, they swim faster than most others and they swim better than most others and swim more often than most others. So when they start running, they're, they're, they're right at the bottom. When they're used to being at that, that top end of their, of their sport, now all of a sudden in a sport that's you know, relatively similar, they're so far down. They try to work extra hard, extra hard to get to that level that they're, that they're used to being. So dealing with swimmers can be tricky because of that. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things I've really enjoyed is the last, yeah, I guess six months ago, for those easy runs, I've just been practicing nose breathing, nasal breathing. So awesome. only breathing yep. yeah, in and out through the nose, close your mouth. Uh, and if I do get to that point where I'm going too fast, where I've got to breathe through my mouth, I'll just back off the, the pace. And I've been Perfect. doing all of my easy runs with that. And it's at the start, the first two weeks, it was really challenging even to go at an easy yeah. pace. But after that, it's just, man, it's, it made a difference. And when we could get, when we got back in the pool, uh, in that sort of that middle section, when I was able to sort of swim again, um, yep. I, was, I was pulling out some really good times in the water because um, aerobically I was really fit. And I think that nasal breathing made a big difference or it helped me at least maintain that when I wasn't swimming, I was only running. Uh, have you sort of experimented with that much or have you looked into that much at all? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that that breathing pattern. It makes makes a big difference, and especially for swimmers, I find it helps. From a personal perspective, I I'm done the same, and I found the same as well. When we could swim there for what was it a month or so, I, I felt like when I hopped back in the water, I was actually breathing much more efficiently and much more easier because of, the, of exactly what you just said. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything that uh, that we haven't talked about that you think is important to to bring up for uh, for those that are starting to run a bit more? Um, just, just be wary, just be wary that, yeah, if, if you are a swimmer and you're a high level swimmer, you know, j just be wary that, that your bones and your muscles just aren't quite conditioned for, for the running. Yes. Aerobically, you're, you're right up there and you're probably, probably better than some of the good runners, but from a cellular level with the, what occurs when your foot and leg impacts on the ground, the damage that occurs to those bone cells and those muscle fibers it's going to be it's going to take a harder toll on your body than that well conditioned runner so you just need to be patient you need to grow into it slowly do that strength and conditioning at the same time you're doing that walk run program for a few weeks before progressively building and you'll get there so much quicker than than someone who goes in too hard too soon or has no background in swimming or running you'll you'll really accelerate if you follow that 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 you know general advice i, I hope that makes sense does it yeah. sound clear yeah, yeah. and one other thing that just came to mind there is I haven't asked about um, mobility. What's uh, what sort of oh, importance yeah. does that play for avoiding those injuries as well? And what kind yeah, of things, massive, massive. yeah, what kind of um, tightness where and uh, and what sort of stretches you're giving to people? Yeah, look, that, that's really really important. The the main the there's 26 bones and 31 joints in each foot. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of 
a lot of bones, a lot of joints. And so they can seize up and become very tight. And if one becomes tight, the rest sort of go in, out in unison with it. So stretching the calves and um, ankle range of motion, uh, toe, even toe range of motion movements and regular massage is, is really, really important. It can help a lot. But um, as podiatrists, well, you know, myself, I'm trained in, you know, uh, mobilization and manipulation of joints of the feet. And that, that can make a massive difference as well. So if anyone's listening out there and they've got really tight calves or really tight ankle or really tight arch, there's no necessary injury or pain, but they're super tight in any of those areas. See a podiatrist who's qualified in that mobilization and manipulation and some soft tissue work. And it can make a massive difference in, in, your, in your comfort levels, but also preventing an injury. Awesome. And uh, for those that are listening, you're obviously based in Melbourne. Where can people yes. find find out uh, more about where you guys are and how you can help? Sure. So people can look up my personal pages, Facebook and Instagram, um, or uh, on work. Our work pages are also Facebook and Instagram, which is uh, Bayswater Foot and Ankle Clinic. And I love my swimming. I love my water, but Bayswater is not located anywhere near the bay or any <laughs> or any water, unfortunately. So I don't know how I got that name, but yeah, Bayswater Foot and Ankle Clinic. And if anyone wants to shoot me a message, or we can even do um, online appointments to to anyone around the world um, at the moment. So yeah. awesome! Yeah, thanks for jumping on, and uh, it's probably partly selfish of me because I've uh, been <laughs> been dealing with some injuries in the last six months. But um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm back running, so it's it's all good now. Good. And um, yeah, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.